it's a zebra and a chipmunk. It's a zebra and a chipmunk mixed wait, together. Wait, wait, is it a horse and it's all one color, but it's ridden by the two people from the white stripes? I haven't even given you any pop white food stripes? yet. I'm like, what is happening? You guys remember that club in Providence, Rhode Island that burned down to the oh, ground? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Great white. So... This is this is this is pretty much uh, like people done, folks. That. Cool. We're gonna be yeah. There's uh, we have to give a bunch of pop bread to David. Give him oh, give shit. him like three three things. Yay! It's like sixty milligrams. Holy 50, shit. 60 milligrams a slice, depending Damn. on the size. Jonathan, throw Damn. him three bags. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there's some bags Thank left. You. That's good. Damn. Oh, of course. Well, this has been fun, and we it's um it's gonna be great if you toast it. Um. But it it would also be good if you made it into French toast. Dude, it's but, high time. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. It would make really good French toast, but it would hey, also be good hey. for just toasting and having butter. Hey, so so um, I joked at my homies that I said uh, it would be sick if people started battle rapping with magic cards, and he said that does that's fucking whack as fuck. He watched the sharks. And then an announcer said, and then the forward came in with a rampant growth. Oh wow. And, and then he came to me and he's like, oh, you could totally rap magic cards, man. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Shiv and Dragon all over the place. Yeah. There's all kinds of fun names. Yeah. Okay. Pose. Bye, everybody. <laughs> okay, It's your boy Sifo here, here to let you know that the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is March 1st through 7th, 2020 with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week. Get your tickets now on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comics from all over the U.S. coming for 66 programs in seven days all here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission. Or if you can't be with us, listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st to 7th for these amazing events. What kind of a future? Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Davis, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio
Why not make a donation? Streaming live the station. District of the Mission. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to mutinyradio.fm, hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch What's happening? This is your boy, Rob Edwards. I'm here to tell you about the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's March 1st through the 7th, 2020, with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week long. Get your tickets on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comments from all over the U.S. Coming for 66 programs in seven days, all here at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission, or listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st through the 7th for these amazing events. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? 
I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Tired of paying too much for your internet? Contracts and hidden fees got you down? Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains! 
Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden monthly fees. We're honest, local, and 100% net neutral. Residential internet for only $35 a month, business packages starting at $75 a month. Go to monkeybrains.net and sign up today. Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. El Rio began her life in 1978 as a leather Brazilian gay bar. We are an LGBTQ plus space who is welcoming to all good people. We actively invest in communities to promote social change. We actively invest in our local arts and music scene to give space for artists. We actively pursue underserved communities in the use of our space. We are an awesome supporter of the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival hosting an incredible offside show. Wednesday, March 4th, 9 to 11 p.m. with LGBTQ plus and allied comics. So come out to 3158 Mission Street at Cesar Chavez, San Francisco. It's open every day at 2 p.m. with an incredible back patio. El Rio is your dive. Not my show again, playing cool stuff. I don't have permission from this band yet, so I'm going to ask him permission after. And I'm going to apologize. I'm going to record first and ask permission after. But I won't play it on the radio unless I get permission. I promise.
water shit. Water and plants. You have this shit a little bit. That's good for you. It'll lead to better things like beer, I promise you. Not water stuff. It's like pot. Don't do that either. It's bad for your brain. How's it going, everybody? Good? So we had a bad run. We went from Vegas to like somewhere else to somewhere else and yeah, all these places that bars don't close are really bad for me to be at. Last call is a blessing. Anyway, you guys say this you say what all tonight? They're really good. I don't know how they're gonna do their bit on this little stage because they're, they're 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 alright. No, they're not, they're crazy. Do a beer song. Song goes out to beer. We have beer, you want some beer?
Anyway, I want to dedicate this uh, set to my friend Chris Cherokee, who's uh, a resident of San Francisco for many years. But the Fillmore, and he just recently passed away, so you're true. Okay, buddy. And here's a song from Boston Long for a while. We ain't, here, we ain't on this planet forever, so we're gonna have a fucking good time, because you never know, one day you ain't gonna get up. You better have a good time that night before, because I don't know what's going on after. They said, Harry Christmas Eve, they were gonna come back as uh, cockroaches or something weird like that. Or maybe John will come back as Harley, or maybe he'll come back as John. <laughs> what? A cocksucking Christopher? That would be hot. They should just be nice, shouldn't they? Or their karma might be. I never even thought of that, just until just now. Let's go to the county creeps. It goes out to friends in the world with each other. Let's hear it for each other. We all friends. I just finished hanging out with Toby, so I'm going to be friends with I love everybody. I love you all.
said stuff, right? And also, Ernie Cortez, who's a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> 
had an absolute blast come blowing from one fish to another. This is like... I'm too choked up for words. <laughs>
understanding Make up what you like Man feed machine Machine feed man Weekly review with Roman. Today it's Tuesday, October eighth. Yes, it's Tuesday. This will be played also on a Friday, October eleventh. Due to some scheduling conflicts and things that have come up, I am recording this a few days early, and it just so happens that it's, there's a big today's like the big day at the Supreme Court because uh, the introductions to the show. Also talked a little bit about that. You can also, if you follow me on Twitter, I have retweeted a lot. The most recent piece we played was a senior staff attorney, Gabriel Arkels uh, from ACLU. And if you follow at ACLU on Twitter, you can hear Gabriel's words and hear more from them. And then also the previous, there's lots of folks who came to the Supreme Court to protest and so that's what we heard before then, and this was shared by Jason L. Walker, who you can follow on Twitter, at LamarWalks11. And there's a lot more footage out there. And also, I'm going to get to an article right away. It's, uh, it's Things are pretty fucking scary. Things have been scary for a while. Oh, by the way, hi, it's a radio program. That's not very funny. Sometimes it is. Today, probably not. I'm feeling exhausted in many ways. And I also think it's crucial just to share what's happening in the world. As sad as it may be, it's also interesting to go back and listen to previous episodes and hear how things have kind of led up to where we are now and to have an understanding of it. 
So this article was published today by Jessica Mason Piclo, and it came out on Rewire News. And I'm going to get the microphone all ready here. And you can find this at rewire.news. Uh, after two hours of arguments, five votes could decide the future of LGBTQ rights. What a what a timeline to be living in, everybody. The conservative wing of the Roberts court appears ready to take a sledgehammer to LGBTQ rights, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The U.S. Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges represented a significant but potentially fleeting shift in LGBTQ rights. Led by conservative justice Anthony Kennedy, Obergefell recognized the indignity LGBTQ people experience when the law treats them differently simply for who they are. Despite being a fundamentally conservative opinion grounded in traditional notions of partnership and family, Obergefell was revolutionary for its jurisprudential embrace of the humanity of LGBTQ people. The legal landscape looks very different for LGBTQ rights four years later. The Trump administration has taken a sledgehammer to the slow and steady progress made during the Obama administration of recognizing the promise of Obergefell and my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. I feel like I am. And recognizing LGBTQ rights. And on Tuesday, during oral arguments for the three cases that ask whether federal employment discrimination law protects LGBTQ employees, the conservative wing of the Roberts Court appeared ready to do the same, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The first two cases on the Roberts Court's docket revolved around the question of whether prohibitions on discrimination on the basis of sex under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 include discrimination on the basis of a person's sexual orientation. The cases were combined under Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. In Bostock, the plaintiff alleges he was fired from his job as a child welfare services coordinator for a Georgia County's juvenile court system after his employer found out he's gay. In May 2018, a three-judge panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit ruled in an unpublished per curiam decision that Bostock couldn't sue his employer because the Title VII doesn't ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. Bostock wants the Supreme Court to reverse the 11th Circuit's decision, which his attorneys argue is wrong and in conflict with the majority of recent federal court decisions that do recognize sexual orientation discrimination under Title VII. The third case before the court seeks to answer whether Title VII applies to claim claims of discrimination based on gender identity and transgender status in RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, Inc., versus Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on behalf of Amy Stevens, a Michigan funeral director who was fired once she, once she began transitioning at work. The Roberts Court had previously avoided answering the question of whether discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is discrimination because of sex under Title VII, but during the arguments Tuesday showed no such reluctance. This despite the fact that the Roberts Court announced last week it was going to try something new this term. Counsel before the court now get to make their arguments uninterrupted for approximately two minutes before the justices jump in with their questions. That means that Stanford law professor and attorney Pamela 
Carlin, who argued on behalf of the employees in their cases, had the opportunity to clearly set forth why firing a man who dates a man is discrimination because of sex. It's a startling difference to hear the attorneys be able to frame their case before the court without immediate interruption. Whether it changes the outcome remains to be seen. But Carlin did her best to stay focused on the argument that sexual orientation discrimination is by its nature discrimination because of sex. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the first question for Carlin and asked about the original public understanding of sex discrimination when Title VII first passed. What role, if any, should that original understanding play in how the justices resolve the dispute before them? Ginsing, uh, excuse me, Ginsburg pressed, none, Carlin answered. Just look at the words of the statute. Carlin insisted, when Title VII passed in 1964, it was the days of madmen, she said, where sexual harassment, now a commonly understood form of sex discrimination under Title VII, was not recognized. Ginsburg's question was pointed for a reason. The heart of the dispute of these cases is a textual dispute, a fight over the meaning of the text because of sex in the statute. Conservatives, including Solicitor General Noel Francisco, who argued in defense of the employer's in these cases, insist the text of the statute doesn't support finding that sexual orientation or gender identity claims are covered in part because of the original public understanding of the harm Congress was trying to remedy when it first passed Title VII. That original public meaning of Title VII, Francisco and the other conservative attorneys representing the employers did, they employees said, only prohibits employers from treating one sex better or worse than the other. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a deceptively simple argument that has dangerous consequences. As federal courts recognized sexual orientation discrimination over the years, they did so by building on the idea that sex stereotyping can be a form of sex discrimination covered under Title VII. The court reaffirmed that principle in the 1998 case, Onicle versus Sundowner Offshore Services, authored by Justice Antonin Scalia. In Oncal, a male employee said he was forcibly subjected to sex-related humiliating actions by his male co-workers, including assault and rape threats, for not being macho enough. Oncal is a case study in same-sex harassment. In finding that Title VII covered instances of same-sex harassment, despite the text of Title VII being arguable, being arguable silent on the topic, Justice Scalia wrote, Statutory prohibitions often go beyond the principal evil to cover reasonably comparable evils, which is ultimately the provisions of our laws rather than the principal concerns of our legislators, legislators by which we are governed. In other words, according to Justice Scalia uh, in Uncal, Title VII demands courts go beyond the original public misunderstanding the public understanding of the law to cover these those reasonably comparable evils of sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination. According to Scalia and the majority in Oncal, it doesn't matter what the exact words of Title VII say or even what the lawmakers at the time thought they were covering. What matters is that the language of Title VII itself is expansive enough to contemplate social change. And Title VII does this by recognizing that firing an employee because of their failure to conform to stereotypical notions of sex, whether because of sexual orientation or gender identity, are by their definition sex discrimination. Congress doesn't need to speak now on that question. They did so in 1964 by passing Title VII. It is analytically impossible to fire an employee based on that employee's status as a transgender person without being motivated, at least in part, 
by the employee's sex. The Sixth Circuit states in Harris, discrimination because of sex inherently includes discrimination against employees because of a change in their sex. On Tuesday, Solicitor General Francisco took the opposite view and argued that the only way to make Title VII cover gender identity and sexual orientation discrimination is for Congress to amend the law to explicitly say that it does. That's an argument that Justices Samuel Alito and Chief Justice Roberts latched onto immediately. Roberts noted that the states that had passed their own version of Title VII had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation, discrimination, as well as, um, excuse me, had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation discrimination, as well as exemptions in place for religious objectors. Justice Alito even took the end of Carlin's time not to let her answer a question, but to accuse the employees of trying to change the meaning of Title VII outright. If Justice Roberts is true to precedent, then next summer the court will rule that Title VII covers both sexual orientation and discrimination excuse me, that covers both sexual orientation discrimination and gender identity discrimination, and Roberts will join the majority in doing so. There is no other conclusion that remains both true to the text, to the statute, and the cases that followed. But Roberts is a conservative ideologue and not a scholar of precedent. He also laid the groundwork for reading sexual orientation and gender discrimination protections out of Title VII in Obergefell. Reading his dissent now from the bench Roberts was clearly angry about the outcome of the case. He accused the majority of acting out of political motivation, not legal reasoning, and suggested that those celebrating the decision were doing so simply because their side had won. This court is not a legislature, Roberts wrote in his dissent in Obergefell. The majority's decision is an act of will, not legal judgment. Conservatives picked up Roberts' mantra of the court, and I'm going to take a self-care moment, as I sometimes do, uh, on the show, I'm going to stop from reading the rest of this article. Um, I appreciate the coverage of it. You also can check it out at Rewire News, uh, rewire.news. And um, yeah, that's a lot. It's it's a hell of a lot. And also doing this show midweek feels like a lot. So we will see what happens. And perhaps by the time this is played again on Friday, we'll have some more news for you. Now, oftentimes I start the show with a lot of music and then a rant, and I'm feeling too exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I'm psychically exhausted. I am just, ugh. (sighs) So then why am I here? Well, I'd rather be here than not here, if that makes sense. I'd rather share some news and always interested in learning more, sharing more, and perhaps all the listeners out there, if there's one piece of information or hope or something that you gain from listening to this week's episode. Uh, hopefully that this will have, uh, I'll have done my part. Wow. I'm tired. Okay. It is not even that late. I'm going to play some more music. And I actually was going to start playing the show with this music. And then I had a Peter Gabriel song on. I'm like, Oh, that's a good song. I'll just leave that on. So next up, I've uh, been going through the record collection here at Mutiny Radio, and records are great, so I've been trying to play some of these on the air. Here's one. It's a record from Joan Jett called The Hit List, and it looks like it's some uh, cover songs. So we're going to play some Joan Jett. Hopefully I'll get in a better mood after I hear some really good music, and then afterwards we've got some more news for everybody, so please do stay tuned.
And welcome back to the Weekly Review. It's Roman. I'm still pretty tired. Uh, I'm a little bit more excited, I guess, because I listened to the first Joan Jett song. Now I'm kind of like, eh. I'm tired. And I'm here. The show is very DIY, and I appreciate that. Sometimes it's good just to be true. And I wanted to share a resource for folks, Trans Lifeline, which is a great resource. Uh, I want to encourage folks to donate to and also share info about if you know folks who need someone to talk to. It's a hotline that is was created by and is run by and operated by trans folks for trans folks. And we've had the founders on the show a couple years ago, Greta and Nina, and wanted to just plug that organization once more you can also follow them on twitter at trans lifeline and they tweeted today the supreme court is hearing a pivotal case on trans rights this morning we know that news like this negatively impacts the mental health of trans people okay that explains why i've been feeling extra crappy uh if you are trans or questioning and need to talk we're here for you at 877-565-8860 in the u.s or 877-330-6366 in Canada. So again, you can follow Trans Lifeline at Trans Lifeline. Please do donate um, to them if you're able and spread the word. Also follow them on Twitter. Um, I believe, it's a weird segue, but I'm going into the next thing. We do have the Pissed Off Voters Guide for November 5th from the San Francisco League of Pissed Off Voters. I agree with a lot of the information that they share. And I'm someone who, recognizing that voting can only do so much, and at the same time, it's easier to organize when you don't have fascists in office. Hopefully, all we can all agree on that. So they have a few voting logistics to share with people. And September, nope, not September, October. This is This is one show for the books, I'll tell you. So that was yesterday. Uh, Early voting started at City Hall, and it's happening from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you're someone who votes and you are unable to go on Election Day and or you don't want to mail something in, drop by City Hall. Uh, Be prepared to go through the metal detectors because that's just something that happens there. All right. And on October 21st, it's the deadline to register to vote if that's something that you want to do. October 26th and 27th and November 2nd and 3rd, it's the weekend early voting in City Hall from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. Oh, the weekend, right. And then November 2nd to the 5th, it's early voting, which starts at SFSU Towers Conference Center. And there's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekends, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekdays. On November 5th, it's election day. Polls open 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you're in line by 8, you can vote. Where's your polling place? Why am I yelling? I'm not meaning to yell. I'm Call 311-CSFelections.org or just go to City Hall. Where's... Okay, I already answered that question. Non-citizens can vote on Board of Education. Parents and caregivers of school-aged children can vote for school board candidates. Former felons can vote. Even if you've committed a felony, you can vote as long as you're off parole. Don't let the man disenfranchise you. And again, this is from the Pissed Off Voter's Guide. Next up, slackers can vote. Election Day voter registration. Miss the 1021 deadline to register to vote? Head directly to City Hall. Do not pass go to register and vote right up through Election Day from November 2nd to 5th. You can also register and vote at SFSU Towers Conference Center. 
Now get out there and make us proud. Next up, youth can vote. If you're 16 or 17, pre-register and your registration will be activated automatically when you turn 18. Next up, local offices. For mayor, no endorsement. Board of Supervisors, District 5, Dean Preston. And again, plugging Dean Preston, I read an interview in the Bay Area Reporter, and he mentioned that he was all in favor of free muni. So that pretty much, he's definitely the more progressive candidate between him and uh, Valley Brown. So yes, Dean Preston for District 5. City Attorney, Dennis Herrera. District Attorney, Chesa Bowden. And we had Chesa on the show a couple weeks ago. We'll we'll be replaying that interview a little bit closer to November 5th. So again, for District Attorney, vote for Chesa Bowden. Public Defender, Manahar Raju. Sheriff, no endorsement. Treasurer, no endorsement. Board of Education, no endorsement. Community College Board, Ivy Lee. Local propositions, they say yes on Prop A, which is a $600 million affordable housing bond. Yes on Prop B, representation for disabled and aging adults. Hell fucking no, Prop C. Uh, Let Jewel write vape law for the children. So that was, yeah, no on Prop C. Yes on Prop D, teeny tiny traffic tax on Lyft and Uber. Yes on Prop E, finally, affordable housing for education and, excuse me, for educators and families. And yes, Prop F, sunlight on dark money. Okay. Open up and a most, yeah, okay. Open up this guide for highlights on the most important things on the ballot and check out our online guide for the full Monty. And you can do that at http colon forward slash forward slash the league sf dot o-r-g now i'm starting to have some fun i'm opening it up there's a lot of stuff there and you can check it out and also this has been paid for by the san francisco league of pissed off voters financial disclosures available at sfethics.org groovy what's up next okay so ellen degeneres who i was in high school when she came out and it was like a big deal and i remember writing her a letter being like, thanks for coming out. That's great for high school gay kids like me. And then cut to decades later. And I mean, beyond decades later, but you know, when sometimes folks make it, they end up leaving a lot of people behind. So recently she was photographed at a Dallas Cowboys game, which is gross enough as is. And uh, to not only be like not boycotting the NFL, but to then be going to Dallas Cowboys game. Anyway, she ended up sitting next to George W. Bush and then her photo was taken. And then she like tried to defend herself being like, oh, it's okay to be friends with people who have different views. And everyone's like, he's a fucking war criminal. That's not just like, you know, enjoying different types of food or having different types of, you know, favorite colors or different personality traits. It's like, no, this person's uh, actions are responsible for the deaths of millions of people and creating policy that has harmed who knows how many folks. So uh, maybe not be friends with, with him. Maybe that's, is that asking too much? Apparently it is. And that's how that everything gets normalized in this country. When you want to know how we end up with a fuck face, like 45 in office, just look at the previous fuck faces in office. Look at the previous war criminals, Democrats and Republicans alike who have caused a lot of harm to people. And as long as they get away with their crimes, then people are going to continue committing these crimes and continue getting people into these horrible wars, which of course poor folks end up paying for more than anyone else. Oh, wow. I am talked myself into a depression again. Oof. 
All right, next up, I'm not gonna read that headline because yikes. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Um, along with all this Ellen and, and W nonsense, there's an article that was shared once more and it came out in March of this year from splinternews.com written by Hamilton Nolan. Perhaps I've read it before on the show and perhaps I'll be reading it again or maybe it's the first time. Excuse me. Of course successful people want everyone to be nice by Hamilton Nolan, March 5th, 2019. Why do wealthy celebrities always decry haters above all other evils? Why do successful people at the top of their fields counsel those less prestigious than them to value professional comedy and civility above all? For a very obvious reason. It is easy to feel love for humanity when your own life is grand. If you wake up in a soft bed and a nice home, have a good job and a healthy bank account, and enjoy the prestige, earned or unearned, accorded to those in high positions, you have little reasons to be mad. All of the things that people want, you have. You have physical, emotional, and economic security. You have the adulation of peers and admirers. You have the opportunity to fully realize your dreams. Life is good. It is interesting to see how attitudes change for the small minority of humans able to attain these high-status lifestyles. Clearly, they are viewing life from a different perspective than most. Whereas the average person is forced to spend a good deal of time contemplating problems from mundane to existential that in some way affect their lives and how to solve them, the people at the top of the world are under no such obligation. Their vision, their vision need not be clouded by such concerns. Their needs are met. They are free to direct their mental energy towards achieving ever higher levels of self-realization. Though they may recognize the world's problems in an abstract way, they are not true obstacles for them. There is nothing easier than embracing love as a value when you have nothing left to hate. There is nothing easier than embracing freedom when nothing is holding you back. To say, we should all be kind to one another and get along when you are sitting at the very top of the pyramid is not an embrace of magnanimity, excuse me, magnanimity. It is an embrace of self-interest. Once you have what you need, once you have what everyone else wants, declaring the cutthroat race for achievement over in favor of universal love will conveniently ensure that your gains remain locked in. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of fame, let's stop all the haters. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of wealth, let's stop all the jealousy. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of high career status, let's stop being critical of those at the top. Let's all get along, everyone equally, from me at the very top to you at the very bottom. This is the root of the tedious cries for civility that periodically rack our body politic. Of course, those who have won in the current order of things value civility above all. Civility means nothing changes. Civility means anger is tamped down. To the extent that the incredible lives of society's winners are driven by structural injustices, racism, inequality, luck, being born in the right place at the right time to win the lottery of life, Civility will cool the tempers of those who are on the wrong side of the same metrics. In a just world, the most successful people would be the most outraged at injustice. Oh, wow, that would be like me or something. <laughs> because they would be able to see most clearly the absurd gap between their own lives and the lives of millions of others who have had the same intrinsic value as humans, but who are not so lucky. <sighs> 
But such a world would require that people who achieve the greatest luxuries act against their own self-interest in recognition that life is not fair. That unfortunately is not how the human mind tends to work. It is more common that our own lives change, our perspectives change, and it becomes increasingly harder to imagine the perspective of others whose experiences grow farther and farther away until they might as well be inexplicable dreams. There is nothing like the sweet taste of the good life to convince us that everyone deserves the good life as long as it does not require us to sacrifice what we already have. This dynamic explains, for example, the fascination of very rich people with charter schools as a cause rather than with redistribution of wealth. To promote education is to promote the fantasy that all those poor people can one day get the same things that you have. This allows you to maintain your own status while offering the dream of pulling everyone else up to you. The alternative would be for you to give up some of what you have in order to help others. Unfortunately, that would require a meaningful sacrifice from you, so the idea is socialist, outrageous class war. The same dynamic is behind the fetishization of professional status, rather than actual merit, by those who have already achieved high professional status. They have an inherent interest in a system in which their coveted positions are handed down to those who pay them the most deference. If I did it, anyone can, is the greatest lie told by those who have secured a level of success that will, by definition, only ever be available to a tiny, fortunate minority. My life is good, yours is bad. Don't think about why, just smile. Can't we all just get along? Me from the penthouse and you from the gutter? Wow. Whew. So again, if you'd like to reread that, if you'd like to share it with folks, um, you can check it out at splinternews.com. Again, it was written by Hamilton Nolan. Of course, successful people want everyone to be nice. Okay, how about some Joan Jet? Sounds like a plan.
Welcome back to the weekly review with Roman. Yay. It is again, currently Tuesday, October 8th. This will be played on October 11th. Wow. I am so tired and I've got more news stories for you all. So that's great. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) Positive news here and i guess the positive news is news excuse me <laughs> interesting freudian slip there positive news is when folks speak up and rise up in ways to stop evil people from doing their evil things so that is one story we have here the uh acting Se- secretary of homeland security was shouted off the stage at an immigration event at georgetown university's law school on monday and that person's name is kevin mclean mclean and there's an article in the Huffington Post. It's also posted all over Twitter. And also Never Again Action has been sharing a lot of info as well. And this was written by Nick Visser. Let's get to the audio, first of all. 
and then we'll get to the story. And they're playing uh, an ad, and that's, nope, that's not what we're here for. So going to refresh the page. And now let's. Before we go, Acting we go. Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan had a tough start to his day. Protesters Aww. shouted him down and at an immigration policy forum at Georgetown University earlier today. Listen to that. So many times they shouted him down that Acting Security Secretary eventually walked out. When children are under attack, what do we do? As a career law enforcement professional, I've dedicated my career uh, to protecting the right to free speech and all the values we hold dear in America uh, from, from all threats. So, <laughs> but also given that this is primarily an audience of immigration lawyers, advocates, and law students, uh, to also talk about some of the fundamental issues we face with the current legal framework and its ability to address large-scale immigration flows. Okay. Thank you. McAleenan's frustration bubbled to the surface last week when he went on the record with the Washington Post. He said he is in an uncomfortable position Aww. because he does not have control over the tone and message of the administration's immigration policy. It was an extremely rare example of a cabinet-level official complaining about how politicized his department has become. In that Washington Post story, the White House praised McAleenan's job performance, Ugh. but they did not say why it has not nominated him for secretary. Ugh. And, and its ability to... Um, also, just, like, politicize. Okay, I'm going to read the article, because what a, what a fucking tool. Okay. So a group of protesters interrupted McLean about for about eight minutes at Georgetown's annual immigration law and policy conference, leaving the official visibly frustrated as he tried to read a speech about the Trump administration's hardline policies on the southern border with Mexico. And of course, a reminder that borders are imaginary. And if you were frustrated trying to read a speech being interrupted, imagine how people feel having their family torn apart from them. And... <sighs> being assaulted, being tortured. Activists bearing a sign reading Stand With Immigrants shouted, hate is not normal, and why are you listening to this crook as others read off the names of migrant children who have died in Customs and Border Protection custody. They also have a link from C-SPAN. After the third interruption, McAllenan thanked the event's organizer and left the stage. Department of Homeland Security lambasted the activist in a statement Monday saying attendees, they can go fuck themselves. That's um, my statement towards the Department of Homeland Security who are continuing to do this evil and harm people. And... Credo Action, the group that organized the protest, rejected any criticism of its actions. However, saying the institutions that feature Trump administration officials could expect to hear from us. No Trump henchman should be given a platform to spread hatred or defend the racist, xenophobic policies put into place by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller. Uh, Nicole Regalado, Credo's campaign director, said in a statement. Institutions that elevate the architects and enforcers of Trump's hate and normalize that cruelty can expect to hear from us. (sighs) 
Moving along in the article, just going to share. The White House has also said last month it planned to slash the U.S. refugee resettlement program by nearly half. Uh, and a little bit more information there. So big thank you to the activists for showing up and shutting that down. Speaking of activists sh- uh, showing up and shutting shit down, Harvard College Business Group cancels sponsorship with ICE contractor Palantir after backlash. This is from the Harvard Crimson. I very rarely read pieces from the Harvard Crimson. However, here we go. This was posted 18 hours ago by Shira S. Aviona and Delano R. Franklin, Crimson staff writers. The Harvard undergraduate BGLTQ Business Society canceled a sponsorship with software firm Palantir Technologies last week after facing student backlash over the company's contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Hubs publicized a sponsorship with Palantir, which included an ethical decision-making exercise slated for October 10th over their email list October 3rd. The next day, the organization announced they had canceled the event. Palantir has faced criticism from both immigration advocacy groups and its own employees for its work with ICE in recent months. The firm supplies ICE with an intelligence gathering system that critics allege enables agents to deport increased numbers of undocumented immigrants. Hours after its initial email, Hub sent a follow-up message stating that several students had voiced concerns. At first, the organization announced it would donate any funds gained through the partnership to an immigration-related charity. That evening and the next day, students criticized Hub's over the the Queer Students and Allies organization email list. The Hub's board then responded over the QSA list, saying they had changed their minds and decided to cancel the partnership entirely. When a member brought up Palantir's relationship with ICE, we had initially thought we could allow them to come to campus and then donate the proceeds to an undocumented charity. But we recognize now that bringing Palantir to campus is harmful no matter where proceeds go, and that it is unfair to students and antithetical to the diverse communities at Harvard, they wrote over the email list. It was a mistake from the beginning, and honestly board was deeply divided about whether to proceed with this sponsorship altogether even as of last night they added hubs's board wrote in an email statement to the crimson that they regret the partnership with palantir we actually canceled the event and hubs will no longer be hosting it or working with palantir as a sponsor until their work with ice changes we sincerely apologize to anyone who was hurt by the prospect of this event and we hope our actions remedied the situation the statement reads and you can go on and read a little bit more so, uh, one more quote here. Uh, QSA is proud to stand with undocumented immigrants, Kim wrote. And that's the QSA co-chair, Angela E. Kim, from class of 2021. We appreciate that Hubs listened to community feedback and decided not to partner with Palantir for this event. In light of this, we encourage students and organizations to be actively aware of the companies they choose to work with and support college students across the country have taken issue with Palantir's undergraduate outreach efforts in recent months. Palantir tried to host a similar ethics tabletop exercise at Duke last month, where it was met with student protests. A petition calling on students to refuse jobs, job offers from Palantir has garnered more than 2,000 signatures from students attending schools, including Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. Whew. So again, this article is found at the, the crimson.com and it came out 18 hours ago which would be early on the 8th or late on October 7th 
Okay, we're gonna keep pushing along. Oh my goodness. 700 plus arrested as Extinction Rebellion protests demand climate action. There's also been protests happening around the world, and I mentioned that a little bit last Friday, and uh, th- there hasn't been as much news coverage of it, but I wanted to share that now, at least in case we don't get to it this week. Uh, More than 700 activists from Sydney to New York City have been arrested in coordinated climate protests across the globe as activists with Extinction Rebellion shut down streets and occupied public landmarks to demand action on the climate crisis. Nearly 300 were arrested in London after taking over 11 sites in the Westminster area. In New York City, nearly 90 activists were arrested after staging a die-in on Wall Street, pouring fake blood on the iconic bull statue outside the New York Stock Exchange. Dozens were also arrested in Amsterdam, Vienna, and Madrid. In Brisbane, Australia, an activist hung from a story bridge in a hammock for six hours. Activists also took to the streets in Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. And we'll have more on Extinction Rebellion's ongoing protests after headlines. That's the that's from Democracy Now! Uh, and so you can check that out, democracynow.org um, from October 8th. There's also lots, lots more happening. We're going to go back to playing some music and we'll be back uh, after this.
I'm thinking like if I was the. And welcome back to the weekly review.